I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dum Dee Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that has centered an ambridge in the heart of the Midlands on the Oscar winning performance. Who is Royfield Brown? And with me, I have the panto performer who is Kerry Warbis. And this week's school nativity cock up, folks, is <laughs> Peter Strickling. <laughs> and this week's Dumpty Dump is from Jennifer Corley and Angus. And of course, Jennifer Corley is the Ambridge Pony Club. But now, seriously, folks, we've got like zero. Zero, zero, zero. <laughs> We're about to play that three weeks now. We actually are. The, the cupboard is bare. So please, I implore you, I beseech you, I beg you, send us in a dumpty dum. Now, Kerry, uh, back onto the script. If somebody would like to send us a dumpty dum, how can they do that? Be careful, everybody, because I will soon get my kazoo out if nobody sends one in. So you've, you've been warned. If you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203 031 3105. Leave us a message on SpeakPipe or send a text message starting with DUM to 077 862 0690. Thanks to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, and Shambridge for her voices, plus, of course, Lucy B. Freeman. On this week's episode, we hear calls from Glyn, Young Keith, Jenny, Quentin. Yes, it's that Quentin. Hannah from Rotherham, if you remember, folks. Uh, some weeks ago, Hannah from Rotherham called because she's from Rotherham. And I said, Rotherham? Never been there. And I said, what's it like? She tells us in her call this week. Witherspoon, Upper, Lower East, West Side, Ali, Christie and general store but first before all of that goodness it is hmm, we were served up a drama it was totally awesome but was it a play did it even feel like Ambridge was it the archers we're going to discuss that 
mind to Kerry Warburton. Oh, think... First off, Kerry. Oh, stop it, Peter. First off, first things first. How are you feeling, Kerry? Well, uh, thank you for asking. I am sort of part way through my recovery from my having had an operation about 10 days ago. If I nod off part way through this, <laughs> um, it's nothing to do with the content. It's the tramadol. So. <laughs> but this is the first time I've actually sat in a chair since the 8th of November. So, you know, it's that kind of small progression that I'm clinging to as a positive. <laughs> Is there any chance you could start hallucinating leaving your leftover curry in the bath or something halfway through and um, Royfield has to start some, you know, singing yeah. Adele to you through the, you know, over the microphone? <laughs> I've wrapped it in a towel. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but it's also absolutely dreadful. I mean, it was it was yeah. awful, wasn't it? It was such, I mean, an awful, I mean, as in just the, how heart-wrenching it was and how mm. how desperate and, and miserable. I, yeah, I, it was very, very affecting. Philippa was on last week, Royfield sort of painted me as this kind of heartless tin-hearted man like him who didn't cry when um uh, um siobhan's um cd was on and i was in tears for that and floods of tears and this week I, you know i wasn't crying but i could i could barely breathe for it i was, I was very very affected yeah hats off to holly chapman i was yeah. astounded at the levels of the acting i i just it just struck me like imagine having to do that which sounds really stupid, but having to get that deeply into the desperate situation and express yourself in that way. Our hot topic is about, yes, it was amazing. Is this what Archer's listeners want to be listening to or not? I do. I think, you know, this situation is out there for people. Mm. Why not have it in the Archer's? I, I mean, obviously, I've just said at length about how, how much it affected me and how, how powerful it was. But, mm. you know, could I do that more than once every 20 years? No, thank you very much. I think it would, for me, The Archers is a bit of whimsical fun. It was like one of those um, 1980s kind of uh, um, plays they used to put on at kind of 10 o'clock at night on BBC Two. So, you know, kitchen sink drama directed by... Um, Ken Loach. Uh, uh, so, so as a standalone piece of drama, I thought it was absolutely immaculate. But I just, yes, mm. it, it, I think you made the point, Kerry, didn't you? The next day, it was a bit difficult to be flitting backs and forwards from um, Freddie discussing his um, panto yeah. with yeah. them in the doctor's surgery. And also the Rex and Toby conversations. When I re-listened to the Omnibus today, um, I realised I hadn't absorbed any of what they'd said when I first listened to it because I was still processing what I'd heard happened to Alice and Chris. Yeah, it was like a sort of breather. When they were talking, I could switch off a bit and sort of mm. from the programme and think, God, blimey, what on earth is going on in this little bathroom? Um, and for Chris, what is he thinking? Why hasn't he rung the ambulance? What's going on? And then it would come back to Alice and Chris. And again, you were carried along on this sort of um, tidal wave of, of raw emotion and horror, basically. I know that you've been laid low, um, you know, sort of yeah. recovering from your operation. So you, you've, mm. been, you, you've been time rich, if not energy rich, the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But yet, you know, most weeks you and I will sort of like sandwich in three listens, you know, two and a half listens mm. of the, of, of the mm. show before we do the podcast. But I think both yeah. of us have only managed one and a half. I don't know what you managed, Royfield, but uh, it was I couldn't I couldn't listen My to normal it again. normal amount, Peter. <laughs> okay well I will, I'm, I will i will refrain from making a comment then <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> should we tell royford what happened <laughs> exactly yes royford there's a show called the archers it goes out four times a week oh, monday tuesday tell. wednesday th yeah. yeah um but did you but did you have you listened to have you listened to it twice i haven't listened to it twice i'll freely admit mm -hmm. 
Uh, to be honest with you, I had every intention of listening to it twice, and um, I got caught up w- with the prep for the show. So what uh, my sneaky cheat is always to read uh, the BBC summary, which also um, reminds me of all the things that I've forgotten. No, not necessarily just in, in that episode, but all the things that I've forgotten about last week in the archery. Mm-hmm. So I was going to listen to it twice because I just found it incredibly, it sounds trite to say visceral. You were there, weren't you? And I was like, bloody oh, hell. That scream was incredible. Mm. It was even better than Kirsty's. <laughs> yeah, th- th- actually, this sets the bar very high for the uh, Kirsty um, Philip revelation whenever that happens. Mm. Mm. I-, I do think with the week before and then with last week, we just served up with three, arguably four, episodes which are utter top draw. And uh, mm-hmm. Holly Chapman deserves a bit of this. Yeah, we've got to give it the clap, yeah. you know. This, oh this, God, is, this is the Roy good Phil clap. Let's... No, it's a good clap. <laughs> we gave it the good clap. The other thing to say as well is that one of the reasons why it felt like such a sucker punch, even though we knew something mm. was eventually going to land, because we have what I call peak archers, where nothing much really happens. Stories kind of like meander. Mm. And people talk about pantos and metal detectors. And and then when you then served with this, you go, bloody hell, the, these script writers do know what they're doing. Right? Yeah. You the, even tweeted about it, Royfield. That's yes. how good it was. You exactly. even did a tweet. I, yeah. I did a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I was that bowled over. Royfield, having listened once, just going mm. back to what Peter and I were talking about, the bits in between, can you remember what Rex and Toby were talking about, what Ruth and David were talking about, what Eddie was saying? You know, did you, did you get that same thing of like processing in between or or not so much? Well, admittedly, no. But obviously it was about the eviction from, from Holotree and they've got six months to find a new rental home. And then it was Toby dropping that bombshell about the fact that he can sell scruff gin. The likelihood of a brewery buying scruff gin is much likelihood as having an outside locking bathroom, really. On that note, uh, good people, I think you should have a little bit of this and get on to Caller Inneris. Hello, Ambridge3962. And why don't we start with young Keith? Good morning, young Keith here. Lots of drama in the arches this week, and bloody good stuff it is too. However, just one thing that, you know, I, I like to be the continuity police at times. One thing that stood out for me was Chris telling Alice that there were blueberries downstairs for her breakfast, when the season for British blueberries, and I could be wrong here, is well and truly over. And I just couldn't visualise Chris buying South American blueberries I think surely they'd be eating something local like, um, I don't know, an apple or a potato or something. Anyway, I know it's not really the main talking point of this week's action, but it it didn't sit well with me. And we all like a potato for breakfast, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we've got it all wrong. Alice is not a, a desperate alcoholic wrestling with the DTs, but she too was out. <laughs> Raged by um, Chris buying out of season fruit, and that yeah. scream was you know the <laughs> the full expression of her disappointment. This is going to be a dumb question. Can you freeze blueberries? Maybe they are locally sourced British blueberries that were frozen. That is that it, wrong? Can you freeze them? 
Don't know. The, the way that my pathetic brain works, Kerry, is this is actually going to be front and centre for me for quite a long while now. Though it'll be sort of like any interactions <laughs> between Chris and Alice, there'll be a little voice in the back of my head going, "Hmm, blueberries. What mm. has happened to the blueberries?" It takes a you know a, a solid pair to um, have the courage to call in with a blueberry comment on the, the week when we've had the bathroom scene. That's um, you know hats off to Keith. Sorry, love, you can freeze them. So. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they were probably uh, lovely British ones. Yeah. There you go, Keith. It's all sorted. Hello, Dumpty <laughs> Dum. It's Glenn here. Uh, Royfield has asked me to post pictures uh, from where I send in my calls and put those on the Facebook group. And I'm going to do that, continue to do that. This week, I'm sending in my call from the lower pond at the Lumsdale Mill waterfalls. I'm going to try and keep my locations vaguely linked to the Archers and Ambridge and the reason I'm here is because in the Archers uh, every romantic couple has to go through a rite of passage which is the walk to Lakey Hill or walk up Lakey Hill and I think if there's an equivalent in our village it would be the walk to the Lumsdale waterfalls and I'll put a bit more on the on why that is on the Facebook page. But turning to the Archers I think this week obviously last week obviously the Lots of um, developments in the Alice story. And one angle on that is, historically, with a number of the female characters, when they've had large stories, there's been a sense there's been a bit of a difference in how the audience perceives the character and how the writers might write the character. I'm thinking of Ruth and Helen in particular. And there's always been the sense that perhaps this has affected the way the scriptwriters have written. I think with Alice, I don't think there is that difference in perception. I think we as listeners, whether we like Alice or not, we see her exactly as the scriptwriters intend us to see her. And it'll be interesting to see how reactions to Alice's story develop in that case. Right, uh, I need to carry on with my walk. Uh, so everyone in Dumpty Dumland have a great week thank you for the podcast to all the team and speak to you again soon bye Lumsdale waterfall is the equivalent of going up Lakey Hill which begs me to wonder why he's going there on his own or maybe he isn't I don't know exactly yeah I have met Mrs Fuller love she's she's utterly lovely so she was obviously elsewhere occupied uh there, there was no or in the background somewhere. With, yeah. Yes, exactly. Just sort uh, of a respectful 10 paces behind. Yeah, looking at... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the women of, of Ambridge and audience versus writers, are we perceiving them as the writers have described her? Is there any conflict there? I think they've done um, a fantastic job of playing us, haven't they? Normally, the way they write the arches is the writers and the... Um, the listeners kind of work as one we're given the, they, they it, we feel like we've got uh, all of the information and this time they have very carefully drip fed us misinformation or kind of little red herrings about how much is alice drinking how, how much is she cut back once the pregnancy has been there we've heard mm-hmm. her best intentions but then we've had our suspicions that she's not necessarily following through on them which kind of really yeah. then it gave them the opportunity to sort of like tug at our heartstrings as Alice has kind of poured her heart out in the bathroom into the doctor. Mm. So I think they really have stitched us up and, and, and quite well, So which are kind of, I think, makes Glynn's point. Yeah, that bit where she had gone out, hadn't she, on Monday's episode, I think it was, at the bit early on, um, yeah. to look at the stars in inverted commas. And he was like, well, why didn't you ask me to join you? And we're all going, because she's necking a bottle of vodka. 
and they did some double bluffs like for instance this goes back a little while so she mm -hmm. kind of mused out loud about whether she should crack open her dad's bottle of whiskey mm. you know and drink it in the office or dad's bound to have a bottle of whiskey well now we know that she almost certainly had finished a bottle of vodka before she even got to the bottle of whiskey because she yeah. was you know she was well armed she always had booze around mm. you know that panic attack she had about being able to get wine from the garage that's probably after yeah. half a bottle of vodka or something you know this is the information we've been given now is that her drinking was far more continuous and and, and dangerous yeah. than we've been given that led to believe one of the things that i was wrestling with uh, this afternoon was um other than getting out of bed was <laughs> did you feel that it was a real sort of um huge leap from slight withdrawal to screaming and being locked in a bathroom i don't know whether that's because the levels of what she has been drinking are so much higher than we've perhaps been led to believe and so not having any for i don't know x amount of hours three hours four hours don't know it's really ramped straight up into this alien-like screeching situation. Yeah. So Royfield and I had one of our occasional ding-dongs a couple of months ago where I was sort of saying quite Sorry. passionately that I... Royfield, this is, you seem to be the only person who doesn't realise that you and I disagree quite a lot, uh, um, and, and, and now it seems. But, but a while back, you, you, sort of took, uh, you took me to task because you, I, I was saying I found Alice's denial implausible. And, you know, we kind of, we, you know, we, we sort of made up over that, and that was fine. That um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of double down on that now because I think, I think that's the one misstep they made with this. Obviously, they have done a good job of sort of, you know, sort of misdirecting us. But, mm. but allowing us to think that Alice was in denial uh, as much as she was also made us think that she probably was a kind of binge drinking, kind of functional alcoholic rather than someone who was having to very strateg strategically plan their drinking. And as she said to, the, to Chris, she's been doing this for years. If it was true misdirection, we have every reason to have been misdirected because the whole point of the monologues was surely to reveal the inner workings of someone's mind and at no point did she ever say well i'm put i'll put the whiskey here then i'll put the vodka down there then i'll shuffle the, the gin under the pillow yeah so i must admit i yeah. did try and think what hints were there that it was so advanced and the only obvious one that i could think about was the whole scene with lillian i thought lillian unwittingly enable her to drink while she was pregnant you know Lena was oh yeah. in my day you could have a little tot and it was all kind of fun, yeah etc but the way that it then played out last week this did feel that she'd been drinking to that extent for years it wasn't just a you know I go out on a Friday night and a Saturday and I get blotto and then oh yeah then I have a little one in the evening there's a bit there's a difference between that at least from my understanding and i'm not an alcoholic and i'm com completely a social drinker and then strategically having alcohol placed just about everywhere and again i'm not an alcoholic i don't know anybody who's particularly close to me who's gone through that so i don't know but if you're drinking or consuming anything to that excess and then it's taken away from you I would have thought that the reaction is going to be pretty immediate and pretty violent. Mm. Yeah, that was what I wasn't really sure of because I don't have the experience. Yeah. I think the height of the whiskey in the office was, you know, I mean, who does that unless you're in a desperate situation? 
You know where she nicked Brian's whiskey, didn't she? Like Peter's just Yeah, I mean, Brian can't have that much of a problem. If a bottle can be there long enough for people to know it's there, then there's not an alcoholic involved because that will will get cleaned out. Just as a quick, quick note, and I've been trying to work this out for quite some time. I frequently say that at the heart, this is like a a morality play. It's like a Greek tragedy is, is what fundamentally any kind of continuing soap is. And... Basically, it means that if you do something bad, sooner or later, you will get your comeuppance. All right, this isn't real life where you can do something bad and actually kind of get away with it. This is to inform us how to be better people, citizens. Now, what I can't quite work out here is how Alice, and I'm saying this in a somewhat blunt way, is going to get her comeuppance for drinking this amount of alcohol and, and to continue doing it whilst being pregnant. The only way that I can see it being done is for her and Chris actually to break up. I'm not saying they are going to. I'm just saying I don't have the intellectual capacity to think of another way out of this because I cannot see how she can deliver this child and they have a storyline for the next 40, 50, 60 years where there is an adult in the village who's intellectually, physically impaired because their mother excessively drunk alcohol. I can't see that. If that's not going to happen, and I can't see them doing that, in what way is Alice going to feel the consequences of what she's done? And all I can think of is that her relationship with Chris uh, must come a cropper. It has has to end. Um, But I'm not a script writer, so there's probably four or five other avenues where she can feel the full weight of actually what she's done and the storyline can then uh, go on. Sorry, Kerry. One thing about what you've just said, which is almost entirely right, is because you're talking about doing something bad. And in my view, she is doing something bad, which is drinking excessively, but she's not wanting to do this. The reasons why she is doing it is what fascinate me. You know, her troubles almost making her be this way. So I'm not saying that's a get out clause, but I am saying that it's not the same as someone willfully doing something bad, which would happen in mm. a morality tale, uh, because they are a bad person. Uh, but- and they like, you know, but there's something a bit more to this, which is that she has got, you know, really awful self worth. She has talked about when I drink, I like being me more, that kind of thing. So there is a different slightly different shade to this which is that she's struggling massively and that's why she's doing what she's doing but there is another element though and 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 i hear you right um alice has terrible self-worth with a massive uh, sense of entitlement there are the two things aren't quite in juxtaposition to each other but they're two parts of the alice whole so whilst i appreciate she thinks that she is crappy and has no self-worth and she sees her other siblings with the exception of Kate as being incredibly capable and just getting things done she also is I'm posher than you the things that she said to her sister-in-law were just dreadful so there is that but then also the reason why yes we have a certain amount of sympathy for her as an individual Mm. she's in that dodgy position whereby she's carrying another human being 
And the fact yeah. that when she collapsed and found out she was pregnant, she didn't call out for help. Very many people, you might call them the morality police, you know, the just whatever, will just say at that point, whatever you're going through, you should have at least got some level of help because you're not just potentially yeah. destroying your own life. There is an innocent who you're actually affecting. So yeah, that's, on that that's level, quite simplistic, though, isn't it? It's quite simplistic. Yeah. Hence, she, hence she, I she said spoken. morality police. Hence, I said morality yeah. police. Yeah. She's spoken about the shame. He, he, Chris said, "Why didn't you tell me? You know, when you collapsed in the ditch and all of that." And she literally shouted out, "You know, it's the shame of it all." She's she knows she's done that, but the step from being in a ditch being pregnant, knowing you're an absolute mess and you're damaging possibly your child to going, hello, I need some help, isn't a really easy one to take. It's also a self-fulfilling prophecy. The absolute gnawing agony of failing as a potential mother and damaging your kid is going to make you put you in the, in the types of stresses where you'll be reaching out for a drink. The drink has been a crutch. I mean, to make it more trivial and, and hopefully a bit more funny, I mean, when I um, gave up drinking eight months ago, prior to giving up drinking, I'd been one of those people who'd been a bit sniffy about people who kind of like eat too much chocolate or can't resist a burger or kind of any of this sort of stuff. And I remember Kerry laughing at me when we were on one of our, our many uh, Royfield excluding phone calls um, <laughs> because I was confessing to getting through six to eight sherbet dip dabs every evening as my kind of um, crutch for just dealing with not being able to sink a whole load of booze. And yeah, and you know, all of a sudden me who'd had these kind of very sniffy and sort of absolute judgments about, you know, people who eat too much cake, etc. How, you know, why can't they just say no? Why do they have to have another slice? And yeah, there I was honing sherbet dip dabs like a maniac to try and, <laughs> try and sate my <laughs> desire for, for sweet, sweet beer. I can see how, um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a kind of like a, a gap in your compassion to sort of not see how Alice is. And also Alice is punishing herself. If you want it to be a morality play, I mean, did it sound like she was having fun in the bathroom? I mean, it was really horrendous. Yeah, yeah. I'm now imagining you looking like Al Pacino, by the way. Uh, Scarface. I was, yes. yeah, uh, everything, but the, everything but the machine gun and the medallion. I was ashamed of my sherbet dip dab consumption. <laughs> so Charlotte would be taking um, Cyrus off to bed and I was slamming down these sherbet dip dabs and once or twice I kind of <laughs> tore them open overly eagerly and I was covered in sherbet all over. And I, I, you know, I, had, to, I had to confront what I'd done. A bitterly <laughs> shrinking paunch was then sort of covered in sherbet and, um, yes, oh. it was... Uh, Oh, yeah. there you go, Roy. I'll tell you, I did get a wonderful image there. Even he says the medallion there. Doesn't uh, Al Pacino basically, in proper like seventies style, have like what his shirt unbuttoned about like, yes. three buttons? He's got like a hairy chest, like a real manly yeah. chest. Slumped but I, down. I, I tell yeah. you, who else had a manly hairy chest? Arthur Hughes, who plays Rory on Friday on oh. the Dum De Dum Zoom. I tell you what, he's uh, he's got some hair down there. Like a young Quentin Rayner, I have it on good authority that that was he was drawn into that conversation. He was, he was, and they uh, he had, was it Quentin admitted to uh, shampooing his uh, chest hair and getting it all kind of properly buffed up. I tell you, folks, it's all there on YouTube. If you <laughs> if you feel like you're missing out, and if you weren't there, you did. I do. Uh, go on to YouTube. Yeah. Type in uh, Dum De Dum. And uh, you'll you'll get onto the Friday recording uh, with Arthur Hughes. He's a rather earnest and, and lovely young man who explains uh, the actor's craft and goes into how he how he dug deep to make it feel that he'd only heard that CD for the first time, so he could actually uh, react in a very uh, human way. 
and also I pull him up about his chest hair, quite literally. Anyway, <laughs> uh, now let's have a little bit of Jenny. Hi, lovely Royfield, esteemed Kerry co-host, positive Peter and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Jenny from Southampton. I really hope you're feeling better this week, Kerry. You've been missed. So I've just finished listening to this week's Archers. I'd intended to listen whilst blitzing my house, but ended up just sitting. I think Alice's performance on Wednesday was one of the finest radio performances I've ever heard. It was absolutely heartbreaking, and it went to prove the astonishing value of drama. We all know about the existence of alcoholism, but I personally didn't have any clue that it was or could be like that. Knowing about something is one thing, but to experience someone going through it like that is a different thing altogether. The Archers really is living up to its public service duties. So I just wanted to congratulate everyone involved in making this week on The Archers happen. And I raise my mug of tea to Alice in Las Vegas. May she and any Alice's listening get well. Oh, I agree with Jenny totally. And thank you for missing me. It was one of the finest radio performances I've heard. Definitely. It was completely wondrous, wasn't it? And And yes, you're right. We do know. Exactly. Exactly. Raising the mug of tea to... Um, Alice in Las Vegas, how they rounded off the omnibus this week. The Alice that has been lost. Thank you for that, Jenny, down there in Southampton. Here's, here's a quick diversion, considering we have a call about Rotherham very soon. Southampton, I would contend, is the largest English city or British city which has no cultural footprint outside of that city. Name one thing, and don't say Craig David, right? Name one thing about Southampton culturally. Why would you bar me from saying Craig David? I have tickets to see Craig David in my drawer but that, that, right but now. It goes but, to prove the been... point, though, doesn't it? The people's called Craig David. It's got that really, cool, that? Um, got that really cool tower thing. Has it? Or is that Portsmouth? <laughs> there you go. Portsmouth. There you go. There you go. I... What about the Saints Football Club? And uh... Okay. Yeah, oh. I was about to say, Matt Letizio. But if we say Newcastle... Your average Brit has an idea, right? They go Cole from Newcastle, Geordies. They, they're a bit like this or that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There are cultural, there's cultural weight to it. Liverpool, you can go on forever. Bristol, you go west of England, they sound a bit like pirates, et cetera, et cetera. It's quite a nice little place. <laughs> Cardiff, you know, you can, people just, just, you can just come out with stuff. Southampton, you just go, uh. Craig David. Was it Laurie McMenemy or something? Yeah, he was their manager when they won the FA Cup in 76. Isn't it the truth of the British sort of cultural bias that the southern Englishness has become the kind of the vanilla, the good life could have been in Southampton? Any of the non-located dramas you would imagine are in somewhere like Southampton, in other words, just an anonymous southern town. But that's my whole point, Mm. though. This is the biggest anonymous town. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's literally the first thing. So we're not talking about a, a, like a godlening in Surrey, which is quite a small place, which is totally anonymous. And yes, all of those nice BBC 80s dramas could have been set there. This is what the population of Southampton is probably like 300,000, 350,000. In UK terms, that's pretty big. But it's like it has mm. no cultural weight or footprint. Like... And I just find that utterly fascinating, considering, yeah. and I only realised this when, when I basically lived there. I was like, I know nothing about this place. I've, I came, I come with no preconceptions. Sorry, Kerry, go on. 
It has the longest surviving stretch of medieval walls in England, and I don't know how you could have forgotten that. <laughs> hello, hello, Google and Wikipedia. <laughs> I think you just kind of made my point for me. But anyway, uh, Jenny from Southampton, please tell us that we're incredibly wrong and we're all forgetting uh, the great English heroes. Okay, sorry. Peter. No, tell you that you're incredibly wrong, Royfield. Uh, Kerry and I have as yet not signed up. I don't want to be hated by the whole of Southampton. That's for you to do, it seems. What do you even call a person that comes from Southampton? Um, Southampton. <laughs> isn't that the football team? And that's because they're from the area of St. Mary's, isn't it? So St. Oh, Mary's was the name of the old area. ground, wasn't it? Well, no, that was... No. Was it? Yeah, St. No. Mary's was the old ground, yeah. But that's the reason why, why they had the nickname of the Saints. The ground could have been called St. Mary's. I really can't remember. If, if, you're, if you're a man my age, Royfield, then you would have been obsessed with Matt Letitier when football <laughs> for, was kind of like important in your life. 93, um, 94. And listen, uh, well, because I'm a little bit older than you, Peter, I remember when Kevin Keegan went there and then what's-his-name Armstrong oh, course, yeah. was the other striking partner with, with his bald head. So I, I remember all this. Mm-hmm. However, I put it to you again. Think of three things, two things. You can't have football because then we can say that we know the inner goings-on of Barnsley or Darlington because they have football teams. But other than football, mm-hmm. no cultural footprint. Really, there isn't. Now, can we move on to Quentin? He, <laughs> because he's got some really important things to say, and it's a familiar voice, and I like it because it's all kind of soothing. It's a beautiful, beautiful Howard voice. Howard Jones and Benny Hill. Howard oh, Jones yeah. and Benny Hill. But you have to Benny Google Hill. this. You Benny have to Hill. Google it. That's my whole uh, point. That's conjecture, Roy, that's conjecture. <laughs> Hello, gang. This is Quentin Rayner. I'm just caller-innering to say that the key scene between Chris and Alice was somewhat surreal for me because... I was listening to their bathroom scene while I was in the bathroom having a shower. <laughs> Steady yourself, Kerry. Um, now, when it comes to the archers, I'm all for good, strong drama over naughty milkmen any day of the week. But I do feel that the Chris and Alice scenes have left me somewhat conflicted. Sure, it was great drama, writing and acting, but I do wonder whether it was a bit too excessive it was a very hard, tough and difficult listen, especially at seven o'clock when you've got a, a manic screaming Alice who's hallucinating. And, you know, their dialogue started off, you know, it was heightened, but it was lucid. But we went from rational to ethanol in a blink of an eye. And I wonder if really it escalated too quickly and whether or not there should have been a warning of sorts. It certainly left me somewhat traumatised, but um, I'm sure... There is much to be debated about that. Strong drama, certainly. Um, before I go, three housekeeping points. Kerry may have mentioned this already, but uh, I like her, I do ask, who has a bathroom door which locks from the outside? <laughs> uh, Philippa, I, I absolutely agree with you that uh, Turkish delight tastes like soap. It's disgusting. And I'm delighted to say that I have established on Twitter with Falmouth Jen that the correct spelling of Linda is spelt with a Y. Toodle pip. Well, of course, Linda spelt with a Y. Anyone who doesn't know that. Oh, naughty step. Oh. Uh, Sorry, Kerry, it's just like on. being wrapped in a mohair jumper, isn't it? Quentin's voice. Yeah. It's, it's, His it's voice wonderful. is amazing. Every now and again when he's talking, you have to kind of remind yourself to listen because you're just sort of swimming dreamily. in the. In the <laughs> and then he's like, no, 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 listen, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. 
Do you think it was um, warning warning uh, appropriate though? Quentin feels that it might have, you know, you might have needed mm. a sort of parental advisory. The movie's swiftly on because you know what time is oppressing. Here's Hannah. She's from Rotherham talking about places without a cultural footprint. Hello, Royfield, Kerry, Peter and everybody else at Dumpty Dum Towers. It's Helen from Rotherham here. I'm ringing in with a little bit of an apology to start with because I rang about a month ago and Royfield, you asked me to ring back and tell everybody why Rotherham is so amazing and why everybody should come and visit Rotherham. And um, the truth is, I'm still trying to think. It's not that great. I mean, I love Rotherham. The people are wonderful, but... There's nothing still enough to make you put it on your holiday wish list anytime soon. That's all I'm saying. So uh, there you go. Um, but the Arches, oh my goodness me, what an emotional couple of weeks it has been, especially this last week. Well, no, to be fair, the voicemail from Siobhan, I was absolutely sobbing my heart out. But this week, wrenching. Um, I just want to say well done to the whole team. It was amazing. I've seen some criticism online about like the way that Chris reacted. I just want to say well done, Chris. I think, yeah, he made mistakes. Perhaps he should have rang for an ambulance straight away. Well, he should have. Um, you know, but actually, I didn't know how serious alcohol withdrawal was. I didn't think I was that naive, but oh my goodness me, I am. And Chris's world was just absolutely thrown into chaos and turmoil. He's feeling betrayed. He's feeling angry. He's feeling really concerned about his baby he's coming to terms with all of these new things that's just been thrown at him and maybe he just didn't know how to deal with it Tim people saying that they shouldn't have written it that way but actually had they written it that that Chris called an ambulance for Alice straight away and got her in and got the help she needed immediately we wouldn't have learned about the severity of alcohol withdrawal either so I think well done to the writers, well done to the actors, well done to the all the whole team. It was incredible. And I'm just so grateful that they've highlighted this. So, yes, thank you for making a wonderful podcast. And I hope you have a great week. But I'd give Rotherham a miss. All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the Rotherham Tourist Board clamouring <laughs> for Hannah's so, employment. <laughs> we're running out of towns. Roy feels taken Southampton down. Rotherham's off the map. Yeah, we did uh, do a thing about Hull a while ago, didn't we, Roy? We, we, we did, we did, we yeah. did. Uh, just before I completely forget, and then we get into the meat and potatoes of uh, Hannah's uh, most excellent call. When you said, Peter, that St Mary's was the old name of the ground, I went, was it? Then I went, okay, if you say it was. It was the Dell. The Dell was their old ground. St Mary's is the new one. Yeah, ah. the, yeah the, you're absolutely right, yes. The Dell, Oh, dear. Yes. Oh, dear. Yeah. Big of you just to move past it, though. <laughs> I thought so, too. <laughs> I, I really, really loved Hannah's call because she made some very good points about, you know, there is there are criticisms about, I did it myself, saying, come on, ring an ambulance now. But to Alice, Hannah's point, um, she said if he had called the ambulance, we would have learned less about what is actually going on here. So absolutely. Yeah. What did you think? There was one point that he said that was mentioned quite a bit on Twitter where he said, all that matters is the baby, which people picked up on because it's like, well, actually, no, Alice does matter, obviously. Yeah, I didn't really pick up on that. Uh, is that surely that gets forgiven in the said in the heat of the moment, you know, the heat of the moment clause gets applied and you're like, OK, yeah, just to be sort of nerdy about it. How are they supposed to write it that it not only... 
does Chris's everything Chris say have to pass some kind of um, sort of like mm-hmm. logic of relevancy yeah. to the situation, but also yeah. all of our fact checking yeah. as listeners for this, you know, the how many million of us there are. Yeah, in real mm-hmm. life, he would get the it was the heat of the moment that passed. And also, you yeah. could argue that the baby is a synonym in that situation for kind of like their broader hopes and dreams and everything they're planning to do in the life they've got going forwards. It is interesting, the, the attitudes of people towards Chris. I did think he should have called an ambulance and I will stick to that. But normally, before we record Dumpty Dum, we do as little as little preparation as is um, mm. possible because I think the um, our, uh, our big boss, Royfield, wants it to be kind of like, you know, um, true to life and kind of like spontaneous. That's, that's what Royfield wants from the show. Mm. But because it was such a serious topic, um, Kerry and I did request a little bit more chit-chat beforehand so that we could kind of talk about, you know, all the three of us share what we thought about it, you know, without sort of like spoiling the show, hopefully. And um, part of that was um, was that Witherspoon is going to offer us some of his kind of uh, medical expertise yeah. about what happens. And um, I, I had... In that vein, I had reached out to a friend of mine who's a social worker and she, because I wanted to learn exactly what the truth of the situation was because some people on Twitter have been very, very sneery about Chris's decision-making, what the doctor had recommended. Mm-hmm. Was it true to life that Alice would be um, would be threatened with um, social workers at that stage and all that sort of stuff? But mm-hmm. specific to this thing with Chris, I got the impression that Chris, you know, Chris did as well as he could. He could do. I mean, he's he's basically he basically was um, apart from not understanding that you know the damage that the DTs could do to you. He was a mm. fairly good proxy for the doctor and for everyone who's going to come to you know to help Alice in the future. Mm. Uh, well, you've queued up with this boom perfectly now. Oh. <laughs> oh, there you go. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. So let's jump right into it. Alice's alcohol withdrawal. Painful to listen to, but the juxtaposition of darkness with lightness is one of the many reasons we love the archers. We learned that Alice had been drinking daily and excessively, which was the cause or a major contributing factor to her morning nausea and vomiting. What is alcohol withdrawal? Basically, alcohol serves as a depressant to the central nervous system. Take away the alcohol from a chronic and heavy user, and the CNS will quickly become overexcited within the first 12 to 24 hours, and symptoms worsen in the next few days. I was surprised by the extreme nature of Alice's withdrawal within the first day, but it can happen, and it did make for great radio drama. Early symptoms include anxiety, shakiness, nausea, vomiting, insomnia, sweating, followed by fever, increased pulse, and blood pressure, which is especially dangerous to a pregnant woman. Hallucinations can occur fairly early in the process, but in 5% of those in alcohol withdrawal, vivid ones, as well as significant confusion and seizures, will occur after a couple of days, heralding the onset of delirium tremens, better known as the DTs. Delirium tremens brings a mortality rate of 5%. Seizures alone bring great risk to the fetus in a pregnant woman. So it wasn't a good idea for Chris to lock Alice in the bathroom to tough the withdrawal out. Not only that, she had access to alcohol, but also to things that she could use to self-harm. I'm surprised that the writers took us in that direction, except, as I already noted, it was a backdrop for a gripping scene. However, in the show's role as a public service vehicle, there still could have been as much drama in Chris racing Alice to A&E while she protested. 
How do we treat alcohol withdrawal? Briefly, a three to five day inpatient or residential stay to detox with a benzodiazepine, typically Librium, as well as adding vitamins and other nutrients because a person abusing alcohol is often undernourished. Again, I was surprised when the doctor said there may not be a bed right away. The NHS should certainly prioritize a pregnant woman in such dire need. And also that he mentioned detoxing using alcohol itself. We certainly don't do that on this side of the Atlantic. I should mention that following detox is a long period of treatment known as rehab, either residential, intensive outpatient, or traditional outpatient. All in all, this episode is something we'll be talking about for a long time. And on that note, I too will talk to you soon. I don't mean to be critical, but um, Witherspoon was quite thorough, but he left out something quite important there. Sherbet dip dabs are a very important <laughs> part of any um, recovering alcohol alcoholics to rehabilitation, whether it's at home or I believe at one of these institutions. But anyway, yes, sorry to be critical, Witherspoon. You know, when he said that in the USA, they don't use booze during detox. What he oh, meant dip- to add there was it's sherbet dip dabs. Uh-huh, that dip dabs. I was about to say maybe I thought maybe dip dab technology hadn't made it over the pond yet. But oh well, yeah, I'm yeah. not actually sure whether they do have them over there. Bassets, isn't it? Probably from Birmingham, as that's where everything great. No, 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 no. When it comes to world, con- yeah. confectionery, that I think you'll find Cadbury's, uh, Bourneville, with that Bourneville. lovely chocolate, is of course an yum, area yum. in Birmingham, which is where the Cadbury's yep. factory is. You know, I think you'll find most things that are British and English to the core and are fundamentally awesome. Started in Birmingham, just saying. Including you, Roy Yeah, we're in harmony. Oh my God, Peter, I love you. Yeah, (laughs) been. It's quite interesting listening to what Witherspoon said um, after talking to my friend, the social worker, earlier on today, because uh, obviously Witherspoon's offering that very interesting and useful kind of clinical perspective, and then my friend was offering the kind of the the sort of uh, uh, boots on the ground. A pro, you know, like attitude for the, the doctor was referring to. When the doctor says, if you don't commit to this rehabilitation, and it's sort of like balked at the phrase rehab, but, you know, going to going mm. to this, um, this unit, uh, he then said, we might have to involve um, social services or words to that effect. So I was asking my well, friend about that. So I was asking um, my friend about that, and she was saying that, yes, the doctor, basically, that's the big guns. That's cracking out the big guns. That's go big or go home in terms of how a doctor would would deal with that. And he mm. will then immediately be um, hooking up the um, the midwife and the social services with Alice's case. Mm. Um, and another criticism that, um, that people made about um, Alice's situation was, we were all sort of surprised by the speed at which Alice has reached this, um, the DTs and the, the tremors and the, 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 the hallucinations. Um, and also the kind of like the very quick revelation all happening at the same time that she's been drinking like this for years and years. But then, of course, the rehab is going to be the perfect opportunity for us to hear all of that. So that'll be interesting. And maybe we'll start to hear Alice's story about how she kind of like, um, as she said, how things got worse through the coronavirus and, and also have been revving up over the years. That's good. I hadn't actually thought that far ahead about will there be episodes in this um, detox uh, unit thing. But yeah, I, I yeah. really hope that there are. That'd be good. No, I think, um, think it'd be fascinating. And, and we can trust the actress will do a good job with that. Another point that's just cropped up in my mind about when um, Alice was having the scan, did you feel there was any element of her 
almost this is going to be a bit con- controversial i think almost wishing that there wasn't a heartbeat i didn't because get, it would i didn't get that the problems i i did in her voice how she went really oh um okay as if you know right really okay it's still okay, all right in there and now i've got to deal with it further and and other yeah. people did say it as well but i don't know how it might be over thinking over egging this pudding i i didn't i didn't get that but i do know the feeling you're talking about that even if it's the worst mm. news possible or even yeah. if it's devastating news you're it's simple like it's a binary. And you know she where has you the are. miscarriage. Yeah. Her life is tidied yeah. up. She will be yeah. miserable. She, she, you she, she it, awful, it, but... exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope I put that the right way because I'm not in any way sort of trying to celebrate <laughs> her, no. her losing her baby. But, but for, no. for, for, for her, it would mean she could go back to drinking and she could just crack on with her life. Yeah. Oh, and the and of course the stress of not having to worry about damaging her kid anymore that would be gone as exactly. well. Exactly. That was what I was just about to say. Yeah. That was later me. on it was interesting when she she did say didn't she to chris when i saw that heartbeat or heard the heartbeat she was almost celebrating like oh good i can have another drink then because the drinking i've done so far yeah hasn't stopped That's... the heartbeat so i can carry on yeah <clears throat> and then also there was another there was a very subtle or, or maybe i'm just uh easily impressed but there was a little subtle touch where chris was talking about how he he sort of unburdened about he's like oh you know um hey babe i was you know i was terrified as well i didn't want to let on but you know that was the scariest moment of my life mm-hmm. and he said and i felt all the worst seeing is seeing you come across the car park you know like alice looked devastated coming across the car mm-hmm. park um, back to the car and that's what he picked up on he thought it must have gone wrong because or the baby must have been you know s- yeah. still because alice had looked so forlorn coming towards the car so that was a little mm-hmm. subtle touch maybe that's kind of fed into what you were um feeling kerry yeah and with the spoon's point about um many alcoholics being undernourished that's interesting isn't it so Love i'll send with a spoon a picture of me naked and he can soon um correct that attitude <laughs> uh, <laughs> massively overnourished human being that hadn't occurred to me until he said it and now i'm thinking about it chris said i thought we'd go for a walk and maybe buy something nourishing to eat from god knows where i can't remember do you remember him saying that Um, yeah yeah so he actually mentioned the let's get something nourishing thing it hadn't really occurred to me that she's perhaps not eating very well either let alone the other stuff Mm. I mean, it's a it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Because it's one of the things you do as a as a, a, a you know a father yeah, as as as, a, as the partner of a pregnant person is you you know you constantly mm-hmm. pester them with these little kind of micro opportunities mm-hmm. for you to help and you know food's the obvious one you're kind of like you know desperately trying to get nutrients into them as you know mm-hmm. all day every day. I feel like it's sort of at the moment it reads like everyone said that Chris is a monster. A lot of people have said that Chris is a monster, and we're just saying no, no, he's not. Um, one, I think perhaps one of the things I did agree with is that he has been suffocating over the last few weeks. Yeah. And, you know, he's been all over her with his kind of, you know, affection and, and help, inverted mm. commas. And I think that'll I be think interesting. He's clumsy. He, it all comes yeah. from a very good place. He's not a bad person. If you've, if you've got someone in your life who's upset, then what you do is you help them. That's the thick person. That's the thick person's solution, right? You just, you know, that's what men have been accused of for for generations. It's kind of like, I don't want you to help. I want you to listen. And then also, he did the same thing, didn't he, in the doctor's surgery, where the doctor was, you know, like you might have to be on the waiting list, which obviously with a spoon was commenting on. But uh, uh, yeah. you know, and Chris is immediately like, I'll find the money, I'll deal with it. And then you know, he doesn't obviously yeah. doesn't realise to Alice how aggressive and scary that must sound. Mm. Mm. but you can understand why you would want to do that time is of the essence but we've all had that thing where you see you see a couple 
you see a couple and sometimes you get a glimpse into their their relationship and it feels a bit awkward and then later on you think about it and you're like no we, we, we don't always have time as a couple to discuss every last little detail of what we're doing or planning sometimes we talk in a kind of short alice wears the wears the trousers most of the time but this is a situation where he's probably thinking no i need to i need to take charge of this situation take she's in charge. trouble yeah this, this is this is what needs to be done i'll go and find the money i'll get her in rehab and yes it's, yeah. it's clumsy but it's fully understandable i think i do feel they love each other Yes, I had a little bit of a Royfield moment there because I I said that a while back. Didn't I? Everyone was saying their relationship was about to collapse, and I had I had sort of I stuck to my guns and said I thought there was a there was a there was a, mm. a depth there. They were weathering a storm yeah. rather than being being swept away by it. Mm. Any credit, Royfield? Do I get a little pat on the bum? Yeah, nice little gentle tap. Thank Why you. Not? Lovely. You've got a good bum. Do you know what? I'm going to agree with that. Everything else has, has gone to pot, but the bum <laughs> is immaculate. From Peter's bum. We now go over to Ali, and I believe she's in the arse end of uh, where American politics begins and ends. Very, very nicely done. Hey, it's Washington, D.C. This is a Philippa Hall appreciation call. Hi, everyone. It is Ali from Washington, D.C. Thank you to Philippa for last week for uh, noting how resilient I was given the background noise in my house, unless I am home alone, there is always background noise. I just, I'm calling back a second week in a row because Alice, Alice, Alice. I mean, I knew that it was too good to be true that she had just put alcohol down for the sake of her baby. When addiction is clearly what it was, it's not gonna go away with a flick of your wrist and just the acting between the the people that that are play her and Chris oh my goodness it's just been wonderful it's been incredibly painful to listen to you know when they thought she was having a miscarriage i had a miscarriage a little over a year ago and you know it was painful to hear but it's even going to be more painful i think as this goes plot prediction with the storyline though is that what's going to happen is she's going to run off and we won't that the character will exit and we won't know what happens for a very very long time i hope i'm wrong but i don't know anyways goodbye Hi, it's Allie again just to pop in to add i forgot that i did want to say that I did not cry last week um, with the episodes of Arari. Perhaps it's that it, because I am not a longtime listener, or it could be that famous American stiff upper lip. Woo. Uh, Ali, the main bit I take from that is that you feel that Alice is going to run off. And when you were saying that, I was thinking, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't see that happening. Uh, anyone else agree with me? I don't. Well, I, mean, I don't think she's going to be able to unless she's a uh, um, you know got a pole vaulting pole with her to get over the fence of the um, of the institute, whatever institution she's put into. When she said she'll run off, I don't think she meant from the unit via a pole vault. I think she means get the hell out of town because of the shame of what's happened oh yeah yeah no her. no absolutely I yes think, i don't agree with that either you know at any point i don't think she will leave 
if Kerry's sin is to always be a bit too kind of like get obsessed with doorknobs and whether they work or not or other such kind of like <laughs> trivialities, my sin is to get overly geeky about the way the show's written. It doesn't make any sense to invest this heavily in a character who's been um, sort of marginal or peripheral for such a long time, or two characters, mm-hmm. Chris and Alice, just to then burn all that hard work. But with- I think with Alice, <laughs> there are too many there are too many bridges to burn, aren't there? Not burn. I didn't mean that. Build build bridges to build within her family and on the understanding how what her struggles are yeah yeah Yeah. when chris says how could you let me do that to emma that was one of my top top moments where he said his realization that emma all this time was correct and he treated her and why shouldn't he be angry about that yeah and about the price bowman stuff you know he sort of thought they were all awful to alice Remember a couple of couple of weeks ago, Susan and Jennifer had a falling out. Then are coming together, and they said we're going to be there for each other through this pregnancy. That yeah. I think Chris is going to tell the family, and basically yeah. they're going to not tell the wider village because yeah. of Alice is going to need help, care, all of those things, but also the shame because you know she's an aldridge and then and also susan mm-hmm. is not going to want people to know that her that yeah. her daughter-in-law is also an alcoholic while she's pregnant so that's where we're going to see the castes and the aldridges kind of kind of come together We've yeah two more call renners first it's christy hi christy from illinois rare caller renner with a few topics i've been sort of saving up First, I confess that I really liked Rex and hoped that he and Pip initially would get together someday. I've um, only started listening around the time Pip broke up with her farmer boyfriend before Rex and Anisha started dating. At the time, it seemed obvious, perhaps too obvious, that Rex and Pip belong together in the long run. But given the latest developments, I think Pip is too selfish and Rex is too cowardly. Rex's sweetness goes only so far. He really needs a backbone, which, and I hate myself for saying this, Toby has, and Rex doesn't. Thank goodness Rex has told Pip finally what a nightmare she is, but will he move on? Who knows? Maybe in (laughs) 10 years, there will be some salacious romance between the two of them. Chris and Alice, I fluctuate between being disgusted with Alice and frustrated with Chris. The dynamic has long been dysfunctional, and I'm not sure where the script writers are taking this. I see the value of a storyline as a public service, but I don't see the writers establishing a long-running storyline for a character with significant developmental disabilities that would come along with fetal alcohol syndrome. A possible easy, quote-unquote easy, out would be Um, following Alice's difficulties with detox during the pregnancy, but the reality is alcoholism is a lifelong problem, and I would be terribly disappointed with a quick detox and a healthy baby. The alcoholism question does create a long line of difficult relationship issues for Alice and Chris to work out, and I just don't see the script writers writing these issues out as long as it would require, especially given Lizzie's spectacularly farcical recovery from depression in the last year. Thanks for all you do. As soon as she was talking about the dysfunctional dynamic, Alice and Chris, alcohol is a lifelong problem. I was thinking, yep, Lizzie's depression thing. And then she mentioned it, obviously, uh, Christy. Mm. That is still one of the little bugbears, isn't it, about how Lizzie's depression was a miracle cure. What a shame that was. Unless it bubbles up again. Don't know. Could do. Well, maybe um, maybe she'd been to Dr. Witherspoon and that's why she was so thoroughly cured of her uh, mental illnesses <laughs> with such uh, efficiency and speed. 
this is the quality of service <laughs> he delivers. I'll tell you, yeah. talking about broken pieces, right, and uh, trying to fix things, going back, you know, writing old perceptions of maybe what was said in jest and maybe was it serious, I don't well, know. But here, here we, we go. go. It's general is it score. mail time? It, that's exactly what it is. General <laughs> score. Over to you, sir. Hi, Royfield, Pete and Carrie, and all Dundee Dummers worldwide. It is General Store from London W10. I'm ringing because for the first time ever, Dumdy Dum has raised my blood pressure a bit. And I'm afraid it's Carrie and Pete's fault. Thank God for Royfield bringing a sense of order and calmness to it all. But I thought the Pippa slash Hitler <laughs> element was really rather inappropriate, to be honest with you. I think the essence of all the characters in The Archers is that they're a combination of positives and negatives, like all of us. And this visceral hatred of Pip is very, I just think, very inappropriate at this moment. And I just wonder, maybe I've had a sense of humour that uh, bypass, I don't know, but I just find that mixing of Hitler and light comedy is not a healthy mix, to say the least. And I've also got a question for both Pete and Carrie that you seem to dislike the majority of the leading characters in The Archers, i.e. David, Ruth, Pip, Tony, Pat, Helen, Tom, Shula, Peggy, Adam, Ian. I think I've covered most of them, but I'm sure I might have missed a few. And I'm just very interested to know why you enjoy listening to The Archers so much, which undoubtedly you do, um, when you seem to dislike the majority of um, of, of the uh, leading characters. It's just slightly bewildering. And I seem to remember, Pete, a couple of weeks ago, you said uh, something like the majority of the characters in, uh, in Archers, in Ambridge, are slightly up themselves. I'm sure you didn't use those exact words, but words to that effect. It just is slightly confusing to me. Fortunately, Royfield brought you all back on the straight and narrow, offering a slightly saner view of the, of the world. Anyway, I'm just interested to know your thoughts on this. Take care, everybody. Lots of love. Well, I'm well just who, who, who goes first? I'll go first. I'm incredibly oh. proud. The public relations work I've done for Royfield has been immaculate. Royfield, I'll collect my fee now. My job is done. Uh, you know, how I've repositioned you like like that. That's incredible. You're now, what's it? You're now the, the voice of reason, uh, a bulkhead against the forces of evil Peter, in this world. You, you, what else? Less of a repositioning, more of just a cementing of my already established <laughs> position. Well, you're, I can't remember what the original brief was, but I feel like I've met it and you are very welcome. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Peter, Peter, this is this call was not really so much about me, but more was about you and Kerry. So what, why don't you just okay. deal with so that, in, sir? In in quick order and in um and also sort of uh, sort of try and be efficient. First of all, I'm sorry. I don't like to upset anyone ever. So I don't. You know, that's not that's not my aim. But uh, but hopefully hopefully it's understood by everyone that you know we are trying to entertain no matter how badly we do it. And so obviously these are kind of like you know it's an exaggerated version of of who we are to to, to one to a large extent. And then secondly, with the um, with issues around using Hitler or, or, or equivalents in comedy, from a practical point of view, you're, you're shutting down a whole load of op op options if, you're, if you're not allowed to sort of like, you know, tap the, the, the full range of 
societal references and obviously Hitler is a lazy and cliched one but I think that was kind of part of the joke was to lean into the fact that Hitler is a, a lazy and sort of uh, cliched uh, uh, reference he's used by um, Charlie Chaplin um, in the great in the great dictator who was it um, Kerry the the, the um, springtime for Hitler Mel Brooks yeah like, you know far, far great far far greater far greater um, men and women than myself and Kerry have you know have have, have used Hitler and is that a cast sign excuse probably not but it does it does show that there is perhaps some merit to it maybe not specific to us but you know uh, people, some people think there might be and then lastly hating all the different hating all the different characters i'm fully aware that the archers is fiction the whole time these are not real people so i don't feel bad about absolutely tearing them to pieces i, I like to think i'm a very affectionate and caring person in general except paul royfield and i i do feel bad about that but um you know th- i couldn't give a damn about them they're fictional characters i'll give them as much for kicking as i want to and and that will continue probably sorry wholeheartedly endorse everything that you've just said peter and i do dislike the majority of the characters the ones that you listed especially uh why i listen you know i've been listening for 45 years or more i'm fully aware that i'm in a very dysfunctional relationship with this program (laughs) um (laughs) i am and um you know there is love and there is absolute disdain i I sorry sorry carrie i know you let me speak but be more specific this program do you mean the archers or dumpty dum <laughs> no, It'd the archers. Yeah. Okay, right. Thank I'm not thank in you, a dysfunctional yeah. relationship with this one. Um, yeah, so it, it, I question myself continuously about, you know, what am I doing? Why will it, as do many, many, many people on Twitter, which is my main source of interaction about the archers. We all um, ask ourselves that same question. What I would like to throw down to you general store is tell me why you don't dislike all those characters <laughs> philippa did a fantastic job big props to philippa by the way i'm big huge fans of rosie quentin and philippa um and philippa yep. was great last week i really enjoyed um uh, the episode people might not be aware that um it was going to be me and kerry last week until um until kerry was unable to do it and so i was um i was axed as well i'm kind of like um i'm like the kind of the guy who gets buried with the the with the pharaoh so you know if kerry goes <laughs> i go I mean, but i was dreading doing last week's until we heard siobhan cd because because it's like that it's the last minute goal in a football match it was at you know everything else is blotted out by how amazing that 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 episode was the rest of the week was absolute dross appalling but that's not what we're remembering we're remembering the incredible drama from um, alice in the bathroom with chris obviously so i can intensely dis- like Pip, Helen, uh, Shula, Russ, Pat, who else? David, <laughs> um, David, David, uh, David Ruth, yeah. Ruth, exactly, David four times in a row, and still yeah. get an enormous amount out of the remaining bits, like, you know, Lillian's yeah. cackle, which uh, um, Justin and Lillian arguing about matching jumpsuits. My love for the good bits is as great as my absolute disdain for the bad bits. Also, in recent years, having listened for 45 years, obviously much of that was previous to Twitter's existence. But yeah. in recent years, the thing that keeps me at it is um, interacting with loads of lovely, lovely, insane people on Twitter. Yeah, as a slight caveat as well. I would like to reveal the fact that Royfield may appear to be having a saner view of the he world. He is a, a really, maniac. A, a really, really benevolent Absolute but if you knew maniac. what you said about these characters not on the podcast then you know well, there yeah. might be some revelations there 
It's amazing. (laughs) You know what I've been thinking, Peter? Yeah. Uh Just it's Thanksgiving on Thursday, and I really fancy a meringue for my dessert. But uh, you're not going to be able to get one because I'm in America. Well, but, but you've got a kitchen, haven't you? Peter, Peter. Sorry, am I being Peter. Heart- am I being heartless? Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Are your, what's what's the extent of your culinary endeavours then, Royfield? Uh, scant. Uh, beans okay. on toast, kind of like I've I've got a lifelong experience um, eating food, consuming it, enjoying that this whole isn't experience, a... dining out. Uh, but mm. I've never got behind actually cooking the stuff. I just find it tedious, boring, and if it's left to me, I'll just have uh, microwave just about everything unless I'm going to go out because I do quite like going out. But going out and eating. Basically, right. consuming food, I ain't finished. Consuming food is only it's a significant <laughs> part, but it's not the whole part. So they, that, that's me. Um, right, is go this on, some Peter. sort of metaphor, no, Royfield? Is this some sort of metaphor? Is the, well, is the meringue? You, you like... were saying, you, the, the <laughs> pair of you were saying that I'm some kind of head the ball crazy person who, yep. you know, rips into characters in the arches uh, before we start. And I think that's the case. I don't think that's the case at all. Excellent. Yeah. You don't, so, or you do? I don't, Kerry. However, oh. I, you know, whilst you pair were um, podcasting... you something then. No, not at all. Me, never. Uh, whilst you <laughs> pair were podcasting, it just occurred to me that I quite fancied uh, a meringue. You'd like a meringue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, sorry, it's where mine went. I just thought, let oh. me know. Anyway, that's uh, this is fevered and as violent the thoughts that I get whilst you pair talking about the arches. Oh, I see. It was it was evidence yeah. of how benign and harmless you are. Gotcha. There okay. you go. There you go. Right, Auntie right. yeah. Kerry Warburton. Do we have any emails with an H? We do indeed. The emails that we do have, we have three, I believe. Hold on a moment. I am actually shuffling stuff. Uh, but whilst I'm looking and fiddling with my mobile phone. I'm going to say big up to Purple Pumpkin. Uh, Purple Pumpkin is uh, one of these uh, salts of the earth, a pillar of the dum de dum community, and uh, likes to display the fact that they're a pillar of the dum de dum community by displaying the international symbol of dum de dum on her Twitter profile. Now, some people sometimes call that symbol the flag of Nepal, but we all know really it's just just bunting turned uh, turned vertically. So um, if you're on Twitter and uh, you like a touch of the dum dums why don't you join a couple of hundred other dum dummers by having the secret handshake? Well, it's not so secret, really, but the special call sign uh, for dum dummers which is displaying uh, the international sign for bunting, also known, sorry, as the flag of Nepal, on your profile. Because then when we see a message from you, we go, not only do you love the archers, but you love dum-de-dum has that given you enough time to get your act together hello ever the professional filler there um our first one is from claire calder claire says dear royfield i thought i'd reply to your comments about facebook Um, my problem with the facebook is that it is now a group rather than a page when it was a page you could easily turn off all notifications and just go on the page after i'd listened Because Dumpty Dum is now a group which you can only access or comment on if you're a member, I can't just look when I want to. 
if I leave the group, I then need to apply to join again. I've turned off all notification options. I can. But when I go on Facebook, posts from the group still show up on my feed without me clicking to go on the group. If anyone has a way of stopping this, please tell me. If they don't show up on my feed, I really don't care what spoilers are posted as I won't see them. I need to go onto Facebook every day, so it's not an option to not go on until the end of the week. I'm an admin on various groups and I've pretty much been in lockdown for many years due to chronic illness. So a great deal of my communication with the outside world is done via Facebook. I was ill long before social media was a thing and it's a real lifeline. I think a lot more people can empathise with that now after various lockdowns. I hope this explains why it's an issue for me now, but wasn't in the past. As you hate Facebook, and it's obviously not a vital part of your life, I can understand you being confused why people can't just not look as you likely only go on to do your dumpty dumb stuff. Uh, then she adds a uh, PS. I've just seen that as well as notification settings, there's also an option to unfollow group, which doesn't seem to unlike it too. Fingers crossed this will do the job and then people can happily post whatever they want. I'm totally in the dark here because I don't I haven't been on Facebook for years. So this all started from people asking for spoilers not to be posted after an episode has gone up. Mm. And I last week said, well, there is a policy now on the Facebook group whereby within the message, we don't put, uh, you know, exactly what's happened. So let's say, you know, Rob stabs Helen. You might say something like, blooming hell, the archers was awesome uh, tonight or things went off in the kitchen, something like that. Then within the comments, then people are then allowed to say, well, I didn't think that Rob was going to, you know, Helen was going to stab Rob, sorry, blah, 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 type of thing. Yeah. And I said, my problem is with this, is that who is making the rule as to when it's all right then to to spoil them? Because if the thing has been released, mm. it's been released. This is a burning topic on various um, archers, groups and forums, etc. And I forget where I saw this. So whoever typed this, actually, I think it might have been Stephen Bowden and it might be on the Flick app, but I could be wrong. So um, he said a convention was built up around when before the Archers was on Facebook, before Facebook was even a thing, whereby when it, there was a, an, an Umrah Usenet, this is like 90s, whereby... Things didn't get spoiled until the omnibus had gone out. But then you'd had, in effect, three opportunities to listen because this was before podcasts. You had the day episode, you've had the the just before two o'clock episode, and you've had that then rolled into the, into the omnibus. So, mm. and then he said, then after the omnibus has gone out, then it was a, a free for all, and people just kind of went for it. And I thought, well, that sounds somewhat reasonable. But still, my, my fundamental point, now there is the setting which it has found, so you can unfollow, which means that you don't get all the notifications and stuff from that group. Um, I appreciate that the way that you communicate with friends, family, but also with the groups that you admin is through Facebook. In effect, what you are saying is that you're... Uh, I think... 
if I'm looking at myself and, and my, my the way that I deal with, with kind of spoilers and things is I don't really care. So maybe that's the reason why I'm a little bit uh, um, much more flippant about it. And I don't just mean with the archers. I mean, in general, everybody who's been listening to Dungeon for years knows that I love me a superhero film. And generally, I go on the very first day that that film comes out. And for me, this is something deep from my childhood. I used to read the comics, so it's pure nostalgia. I'm not saying they're great art. I just like them. I will go and find out before I go and see the film how it's going to end. Because for me, it's not, there is no great um, reveal to be had. I just want the experience of watching the film. So for me, I've never been affected by spoilers. So personally, I can somebody can tell me that Helen is going to stab Rob, and I still want to listen to it. Somebody can tell me that Captain America is uh, is going to go back to the 1940s and marry Sharon Carter, and I still want to watch. It doesn't affect me. So maybe that's the reason why I was a little bit offhand with fundamental point that you made last week. But I do hear you. We are doing it that way, but I'm glad to hear that the, there is a setting so you can actually unfollow the group so you won't get uh, messages kind of pop up. But uh, the bag, uh, the cat is out of the bag or whatever the metaphor is. Um, we, mm-hmm. we, we aren't doing it that way anyway. So we, we deliberately within post, we're saying to people, we'll allude to what's happened, but don't say exactly what's happened. And then within the comments, then people then can actually then say exactly what's what and then you can choose if somebody then just stumbled on the group they can then choose to then just ignore it yes trish Dube says royfield after getting up the nerve to turn on my camera and raise my hand in brackets harder for some than others you couldn't hear me or see me zoom fail i wanted to ask arthur how he and other young actors saw themselves growing with their characters the first generations could not have guessed that they would still have their roles in the village as they grew into middle and old age. Do the younger generations hope to do the same? That's interesting. Maybe you can ask the next young actor. Well, who is the next young actor? Well, um, Roy you pair were having a right, getting your teeth into a bit of Archers um, about 45 minutes ago. And I could see I had five minutes spare so i typed out a message to ben norris and i says ben come on we had your best pal arthur because they do get on really 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 well personally we had him on on friday we need to get you on before christmas it was just a gentle reminder so 45 Mm. minutes ago i sent an email to ben norris who plays ben archer uh so hopefully we'll get him on before Christmas. This is this is weird, Fabulous. Kerry. Royfield thinks that we are worth recording, editing, and broadcasting, but not actually worth listening to. No, I was listening. It's I can like, do two things at once. Uh, I can do two things at once. But I don't but, care as long as but, Ben Norris comes on to lives. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot about your massive lady boner for Ben Norris. Yeah. Oh, come on. He's just, I don't, it's not a lady boner. It's a sort of human boner. Whoever you are, he's okay. adorable. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I don't okay. mean to, I don't mean, it's not about gender. It's so. just about your enormous lust for Ben Norris. Yeah. Mm. I just love adoration. Gorgeous. He likes loads of my tweets. So, you know. He can do oh, anything. okay, okay, fine. Um, a, a more basic and primal um, <laughs> thing then, yeah. Yeah, completely selfish. Uh, then he's, she says, uh, while I'm here, can I give you a plot prediction? Lily is going to inherit Grey Gables. 
it's sad that Elizabeth just accepts that all will go to Freddie, no matter that Lily is smarter, works harder and has more interest in the business. Might take a while for me to be proven right, but there's my first plot prediction. Um, well, I'm going to say proven wrong I... straight away. Do you? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think Freddie's really proving to be a very sort of sort of uh, emotionally intelligent, Capable. if not kind of like, yeah, if not sort of sort of street smarts or kind of book learn learnings. He's got, so, mm. you know, he's sort of very emotionally intelligent and sensitive. And he's got a, a skill that's taken me 46 years to even start to develop, which is he listens. So that's puts him in. Yeah, and I don't think Lily's got that yet. So more power mm. to him. The other mm. thing I'd say, just, just I'm a fan of Lily's, whole... but yeah. On yeah. the whole, uh, Freddie is learning. You really do get that sense with his interactions with with, uh, with Linda that they're yeah. Yeah. wonderful. In that he, she's telling him how the village mm. works, how every what mm. button, buttons to press, how to motivate uh, various characters. And actually, if we're in the writers' room and there's a big whiteboard. It would, it would say exactly those things about these characters. Yeah. Neil Carter, you know, stalwart of, of the village, village pride, local pride, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't want to let mm. people down and whatever. So I, I actually yeah. kind of, kind of re really love that because I said you saw yeah. um, the writer's room. That, that's what yeah. those, uh, those sessions were with Linda. Yeah. We actually and, talked uh, about that a few weeks ago, which was mm. – um, how there's so little sort of um, fat on the arches that that kind of ongoing exposition of characters or kind of ability to introduce new listeners to the kind of the full scope of the village, you know, and that, that was obviously that, mm. like you say, that was a very, that was a nice little sort of, that was three or four very neat praises for some core characters all done in under a minute and a yeah. half. Mm. Yeah. Linda is definitely navigating Fweddy through the maze of Ambridge characters, isn't she? Yeah. Um, so Trish goes on, sorry, just quickly, because she's done the right thing, because as a first time emailer in she says her dumpty dum business is her vintage is Jim Lloyd. Um, it wasn't a major storyline, but the first she remembers was what to do with the obsolete village telephone box. <laughs> Those were the days. Um, I think it became an information centre or free library. Um, I'm a drafter, which is working on a COVID vaccine project, and she lives in New England. Um, she was the first um, New Englander on the Dumpty Dum map. Please bring that back, she says. Thank you and your dynamic team for creating an incredible community. You're the only people I know who know the archers. Oh, that's nice. Trish Doobie. Oh, it's not Doobie, it's Doobie, as in good. And the Doobie Brothers, who I love. Oh, so. what a piece of music. You know what? We're going to play out with the Doobie Brothers. Oh, do, do, do. Oh. oh. Please, 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 can you play What a Fool Believe? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one of my Because that's my songs. absolute top, top, top favourite tunes, honestly. Well, it's... I've, I've got... <laughs> Michael McDonald. Yes. And what you, a voice. I only discovered about three months ago, because I love that track. I love Michael McDonald. Mm. I love the brothers. That yeah. It's a spliff. There's the spliff brothers. That, that's what the name meant. I actually thought Good. 
the Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, we, we need to start wrapping this up because this is going to be like the longest Sorry, edit yeah. ever. Oh, right. Yeah. Leslie Greaves has written saying, what a fantastic week. So well written and acted without the story chopping and changing to funny in inverted commas things like the treasure trove. Mm, it did a bit. Anyway, I'm wondering who Alice and Chris are going to tell. They owe Ed and Emma an apology, but I suppose Alice has got a good excuse not to accept drunks, drunks for the next few months. I think she means drinks. <laughs> Will she confide in Kate? Her dad would be devastated. It looks like the horses might be the Christmas drama. Yep, agree. Perhaps Philip tells Gav he's moving to Wales, so we'll be selling them on and Gav finally rebels. Or Kirsty insists on having a Christmas drink with the lads and sees the state of them. Thank you, Leslie. You, this is all wonderful. and uh, But I'm going to speed proceedings on just, just very slightly because, dear listener, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Amber, who's going to tell us all about the social media goings on of the last week. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Amber, and this is the Social Media Roundup. It's been a thoughtfully written and exceptionally developed week for the stories coming to a head, in my opinion. 
The Facebook group has been full of praise for the scriptwriters in their sensitivity and their tactfulness. An opinion shared by Royfield, who said, Correction to yesterday's post, that is now three stellar episodes in a week. General cheers to the scriptwriters this week and dishing out the goods were seen in your comments. Michael Wheelock, brackets, I hope that pronunciation was all right, said, Brilliant work by the actors and scriptwriters, but not listening to the omnibus as boy was last night a tough listen. Leslie Greaves said, The scriptwriters have come back swinging so good. To which Caroline Wright retorted, Swinging? Now that would be an episode and a half. (laughs) With the hard-hitting and thoughtful week we've had in Ambridge, the socials have been full of some candid reflections on the effect that this has had on our lives. Some hearkening back to the difficult storylines of past. Joanne Smith brought up Nick's tragic death. Is it just me or are there others out there who have become a lot more assiduous about proper wound care? Every wound, every time, ever since Nick died. I can't decide whether that means it was a very effective PSA campaign or whether it means the storyline left me a bit traumatised. Others agreed. Gillian Holmes said, Absolutely, Joan. My increased attention to cleanliness inspired by Nick stood me in good stead when having to step it up a gear in COVID-19. I agree, and I think the Archers can have a very social function in making us think more deeply about issues we wouldn't always necessarily consider otherwise. In an interesting tirade on things people just bloody hate, it's the Omnibus Edition theme by Bellowhead that's coming under fire. Wendy Rowcroft called it really hideous and clattery and said, I agree, it's awful. Phil Parks said, Wendy Rowcroft, I am with you. It's horrid, sounds like a band falling downstairs. Andrew Fould said, I like folk and I like Bellowhead, but much prefer the original theme tune as it reminds me of when I first started listening with my gran. Talking myself here, I'm not much of a folk aficionado, but personally, I think it injects a different energy and life into the theme. Not that I'm opposed to the usual dumpty-dum, but as we know on this show, a little artistic license with the theme can be fun. And in this week's corner on speculations, hopes, reckons and ideas, Anna Fry has kicked off with the key question. Who do you think should pair up with Roy, assuming Mother Earth's Kate and Lexi are no longer in the running? I vote soon to be mortified Kirsty. Any suggestions? Sarah Evans said, oh no, that would be way too cosy. They've been friends for too long. They both need someone to come into the village and sweep them off their feet, brackets, or Lexi should return. I thought she and Roy were great together. I agree. It feels kind of sad that the lovely Lexi got a pump and dump of a storyline. As soon as she popped Xander out, she shipped off. Two votes, though, have gone to Joy Horville from Marie Bray and Lydia Cavendish. That's a pairing I'd like to see. There was also some reminiscence about the time Roy spent on online dating platforms and his general cringe and uselessness on that front. That's all from this week's social media roundup, and I hope my cat meowing in the background hasn't been too much of a distraction. Thank you all. Bye. Amber, Amber, Amber. Thank you for that, me dear. Don't know why you weren't on the Dum Dum Towers chat. You summed things up perfectly. Thank you. Dumdum.com, go there. It's got awesome things you can do there. But anyway, moving swiftly on from that, the next bit I say is this. You can support this podcast by going on to Patreon or even PayPal. And I disproportionately big up the patrons and forget the very clever people that have gone on to PayPal and said, hmm, I can set up a recurring payment. 
Remember, to get in touch, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website or call 0203 031 3105 to leave a message or send a text message starting with DUMB to 077 862 0690. The podcast came out of Twitter. Peter does Tweets of the Week from Twitter. I don't know where else you do Tweets of the Week from, but you know what I mean. (laughs) It's like, basically, uh, Auntie Kerry Warburton wouldn't be part of this if it weren't for Twitter. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. It's the DNA. It's the very bone marrow. It's the very essence of dum dum So it's any right and proper that you can find dum dum on Twitter by typing in dum dum Auntie Kerry Warburton, where mm. can you be found on Twitter? I'm at Kerry Warbis, which is at K-E-R-I-W-A-R-B-I-S. And it's at dum t dum there you go. Uh, Pete Ficklin. So uh, why don't you tell people how they can find you on Twitter, Peter? Yeah, if people want to find the giant mess of emotional scar tissue that is um, my um, social media outpourings, they'll find me at Pete Fickling on Twitter. You can also find me if I'm be bothered to tweet. You can follow me at Royfield. Remember, when tweeting about the Archers, please use the capitalised hashtag of hashtag the Archers with a capital T and a capital A, as this helps visually impaired people who use screen readers. Because without the capitals, it l- reads like a string of gobbledygook. Facebook, folks, you know, it's, it's, it's the bane of all of our lives. Some see it as a necessary evil, some just see it as evil. But amongst all that grime, that dirt, that fascism, <laughs> that evil that threatens our democracy is dumpty dum. You can go there on Facebook, type in Dumpty Dum, and uh, you'll find 700-odd bright, spangly, happy souls that do nothing, that exude sunshine and unicorns and uh, hearts emojis at you whilst talking about the archers. So go onto Facebook if you must, but do Dumpty Dum because you have to. I want to say ta a bit because I've got things I need to do. And hopefully you've enjoyed uh, the last one hour, 20 odd minutes of Dum Dum as much as I have. Uh, Peter Picklin, do you like to say goodbye? See you guys. ta a bit. No, no, I won't have that. He came from somewhere She must deserve